What, you have a podcast? I can't let you do that, Kyle. As, as your honor noted, this is a hot, difficult issue for everyone. It's, that's why it belongs to the people. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics podcast. I am your host, Kyle Frame, and today is December 2nd, 2021. We have a very, very large show for you, a special edition, if you want to call it that, uh, regarding the oral arguments of the new Mississippi uh, abortion law that uh, is paving the way for the 6-3 conservative Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade and basically leave it up to the states. Um, I had that opening quote. That was the Mississippi Attorney General um, basically arguing that since it's such a hot-button issue, we should leave it to the people in the states to decide. And I'm like, when in human history has that ever been a good idea? I mean, we just had Brexit and Trump and... I hate referendums, uh, recalls, propositions, anything that's up or down. This is one of those situations I would argue that since it's because it is such a hot button issue, because both sides are so very furious and passionate about this, that we should intentionally leave it up to a supposedly nonpartisan, non-biased judicial system. That's the whole point of the courts. That's the whole point of having juries is you're supposed to be non-biased, non-prejudicial, and you go into it strictly looking at the facts and the law and the logic behind it, free of emotion, free of that passion, free of your own personal bias and making a decision. Now, is the Supreme Court currently set up that way? No, it's not. It has been intentionally driven to the right by two specific presidents, both elected without the popular vote. Uh, The majority of the justices sitting on the court today are from that. Uh, So we we do have a lot. And the specific litmus test, especially, especially the last one, was will you overturn Roe? So even though they lied their asses off in front of the Senate and said, no, it's standing precedent. and, And Kavanaugh's like, no, I would never overturn something like that. Um, it's very clear that, at least from what I heard, they are more than willing to overturn it. And Susan Collins is just continuing to get more and more egg on her face. But um, I think everybody on the left is screaming at her, we told you so. Um, uh, but anyway, what I wanted to do is we will break down the arguments. Uh, so this first segment here is going to be based on the liberal arguments for why we would want to keep Roe v. Wade and Casey is also Casey's the 92 court decision that reaffirmed Roe v. Wade, but also changed it to uh, viability. And at the time, viability is roughly 22 to 24 weeks. Um, So uh, this current Mississippi law would bring it back to 15. And of course, there is the Texas law that says six. Um, But they don't need to overturn the viability. They could just say Roe v. Wade's dead. So this is going to be... uh, Justice Breyer making his argument um, for why you want to keep Roe v. Wade and Casey as established law. And it is particularly important to show what we do in overturning a case is grounded in principle and not social pressure, not political pressure. Only, quote, the most convincing justification can show that a later decision overruling, if that's what we did, was anything but a surrender to political pressures or new members. And that is an unjustified repudiation of principles on which the court stakes its authority. To overrule under fire in the absence of the most compelling reason to re-examine a watershed decision would subvert the court's legitimacy beyond any serious question. They say overruling unnecessarily and under pressure would lead to condemnation, the court's loss of confidence in the judiciary, the ability of the court to exercise the judicial power and to function as the Supreme Court of a nation dedicated to the rule of law. So here you can hear Justice Breyer basically laying it down, uh, saying that the reason that we should not overturn Roe v. Wade and Casey, barring some, you know, overwhelming new evidence, is that the court would then be seen strictly as a political body. And again, that's kind of what you want the court not to be seen as. You do not want 
politicians, presidents, anyone um, jockeying for, you know, the only reason to elect me is so we can control this this political court. Um, that's not going to end up well. That The only inevitable conclusion there would be this uh, real worry that uh, centrists like myself, I guess, have with, uh, you know, court packing. Eventually, it's going to get to the point where the left is going to feel in the face of a 6-3 court like its only course of action at this point is to either find, you know, just just pack the court, find the most lefty liberal young people you can find, maybe the most inexperienced like Amy Comey Barrett and Kavanaugh, and really just ram them through the court systems, get them on the high court and start, you know, making decisions for us. And that is not good because, of course, everything in politics is cyclical. No matter how great that might be for a little while, eventually the Republicans would take over and they would do the same thing. And that's what you'd be worried about. So you want the Supreme Court of your country to be as non-political as possible and only to overturn things in the face of overwhelming evidence. And, and that's that's what Breyer's making the case for here. Um, next, we're gonna go ahead to uh, a little bit more passion, a little less facts with uh, Sonia Sotomayor. The sponsors of this bill, the House bill in Mississippi, said we're doing it because we have new justices. The newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, the Senate sponsor said, we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? Again, so here you have uh, Sonia Sotomayor basically saying that, you know, the right has not offered up any new evidence. There isn't new uh, technology or anything in, in the realm of science that says that uh, viability is still anything less than about 24 weeks. Um, there isn't new arguments to be made. No new economic arguments are being made. No new personal freedom, choice, all those. No new arguments are being made. Everything said yesterday uh, was being said for the umpteenth time and was even argued in front of Casey and in front of Roe. So why are we arguing it again? Well, because the authors of this bill uh, basically did it strictly because uh, they got Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Barrett on the courts. Uh, they said that specifically. Uh, and it was even kind of a bait and switch there because they originally said, uh, no, 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 we, we, we just want a, a reevaluation on the, uh, the, 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 the time frames, the viability question. But then as soon as they got Barrett on the court, they immediately shifted and started saying, well, no, actually what we'd like you to do is just overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, because before then, they had a 5-4 majority, and they, they, they were pretty confident that it would pass or at least, you know, be sustained, but they, they weren't entirely sure they could overturn until they got Barrett on the court. And that's what Sotomayor is bringing up here is that, you know, these guys who wrote this bullshit uh, did it specifically because, oh, we have new justices, which is not a good precedent you want to set. Because again, that argument could be used against you. Oh, well, we can now uh, overturn, you know, uh, gay marriage because we have different justices. Uh, th that that's not good and the same could be from the left oh we can we can take everyone's guns now because we have new justices that's not good that's not a new argument a new argument would require new evidence or new facts new situations uh, a new idea that nobody's ever thought of to be presented before but you're not allowed to change precedent uh just because you're not allowed to go to the supreme court with the exact same argument you had last time and just hope for a better verdict because you have different people it's kind of like double jeopardy if you go to court and uh, you're on trial for whatever and you're found not guilty the prosecution then just can't turn around and be like well we're going to run the same exact case but we're going to do it with a different jury and maybe this time we'll get you that's not how the American system works on any level. That's not the precedent you want the Supreme Court to set here. So that is what Sotomayor is talking about there, about a, a whole uh, liberal stench. Uh, anyway, in our next segment, we'll get on to what the conservatives laughingly think is there. And by the way, none of these arguments are really conservative. Uh, that's a made-up word in modern politics today.
Okay, welcome back. So now we're going to go into the conservative arguments and what they had. Uh, there's significantly more of them. Obviously, there's double the justices who actually believe in this stuff. Uh, we're going to also uh, play a little clip from the Mississippi Attorney General uh, and his main argument uh, coming up right now. That the I would not say it was the people that that called this court to end the controversy. The people, um, you know, many many people. Um, vocally really just wanted to have the matter returned to them so that they could decide it, decide it locally, deal with it the way they thought best, and at least have a fighting chance to have their view prevail, which was not given to them under Roe and then as a result under Casey. So the Mississippi Attorney General's main argument is that uh, the people have been subverted by uh, this decision, uh, Roe and Casey, and that therefore it should go back to the people to let them decide. Uh, never mind the fact that the, the, the main problem is, unfortunately, this country is divided. It always has been. There are red states and there are blue states, and obviously red states are against abortion and blue states are pro-abortion. So, you know, who, whose will are you really deciding? Uh, you're deciding on, you know, kind of population bias. Uh, if you live in a place with lots of other Republicans, you don't have access to the same medical uh, you know, standards as uh, people who live amongst a, dump, a bunch of Democrats. And that to me is, you know, kind of wrong on its face. It's, I mean, okay, so the, it, remember the line, you know, if one of our freedoms are infringed, then all of our freedoms are infringed. It's, it's, it's kind of that, you know, just by saying that, well, you live in Alabama, so tough shit, and you live in New York, so you get it, you know, you're creating a class of individual. And really another problem that this can create is again, this, this swings both ways. You know, if you're in New York, uh, hypothetically, they have this case coming up soon. If you're in New York and you want to be a pro-Second Amendment, woohoo, gunslinging asshole, uh, sorry, you live in New York. And, you know, but if you live in Georgia or Texas, that's perfectly fine. You know, are your rights being infringed? Is it is it really just determined on where you live, where you can find employment, uh, where your vote matters? Is is that really what we're going to create a new second class of citizen? Well, there just aren't enough of you. You know, there aren't as many of you as there are of us. So therefore, your rights are being denied. And I'm not saying that, you know, the gun rights thing is is equal or fair either. I'm just saying that that's the kind of precedent you would be setting by overturning this. You know, his argument is we need to let the people decide. Well, he's not really saying people. We are in a representative democracy, which means, you know, Congress would decide. Your state legislature would decide. And as we've seen, if you just have a passing, you know, knowledge of daily news, your state legislature is more likely to be fucked up than anything else. They don't get as much coverage as the rest of the country. Uh, they don't get as much coverage as the federal government, as the president. You know, they kind of suck all the oxygen out of the room, which gives them leeway to be more crazy. And also, they have gerrymandered districts, just like uh, the federal government does. So you, you, when you have absolutely no threat of being recalled or, you know, to be primaried, uh, you can say whatever batshit craziness you want and get away with it. And you can also pass whatever you want. I mean, Texas... There's at least 40% of Texans who don't want any of these, you know, pro-gun, anti-abortion laws on the books. But because they live in Texas, they are being forced to swallow it. That's not right, nor wrong, necessarily, depending on how you think the voting structure works and, and, and everything. I personally believe that it shouldn't be determined based on where you live as what laws apply to you and which ones don't. That's to me is just completely unfair, especially when it comes to body autonomy, privacy, and, you know, your overall health. Um, also, my kids are home right now, so sorry about that uh, if you hear them in the background. They're having fun, though. It's all good. Um, so I, I don't think his argument is, is very good nor safe. Um, and anyway, uh, we'll be moving on to now Justice Thomas's argument. But if I were to ask you what constitutional right protects the right to abortion? Um, is it privacy? Is it autonomy? What would it be? So Thomas kind of gets repetitive on this note, uh, so I'm only going to play that brief part, but basically the whole crux of his argument is there is no such thing as abortion in the Constitution, therefore we should not uh, rule on it one way or the other. Uh, since the Constitution doesn't specifically say that abortion is a right, then tough shit. You know, it can go pack sand. Um, this is, 
that whole originalist bullshit idea when it comes to the Constitution where they believe that it is a static document uh, that only means literally what it says and implication can't you know, be made. Uh, Sotomayor kind of makes a, a great point about this later where she's talking about Marbury versus Madison, which was the case where, you know, the Supreme Court assumed the power of overturning what was constitutional and what was not. Uh, the, there's nowhere in the Constitution that actually says the Supreme Court has that power. Uh, it doesn't say that it has the power to overturn the legislation of that, you know, the people supported or that a president signed. That doesn't exist anywhere in the Constitution, yet the Supreme Court went ahead and assumed it over 200 years ago. And it was left unchallenged. Uh, Madison was pretty pissed off, and most of the founders were, but at that time, they couldn't really argue against it. And, you know, it was assumed, and it was appropriated by the court. So his whole argument that it isn't in there, therefore we shouldn't, you know, legislate it, or, you know, control it from the bench is uh, patently false. And really, honestly, I would love for the Supreme Court to go back to its original intent, which was not to overturn what was constitutional and what was not, because that would mean a whole hell of a lot would, I mean, a, a lot of power would go back to the states. And what that would mean is that all the decisions would be overturned. And I mean, so many decisions would be overturned if you did that. And honestly, I think that would be healthy because this current, manifestation where it has become a political entity it just doesn't work for me it, it really doesn't i don't care for it at all i think that again it gives just like propositions and referendums and all that and recalls it gives you know cover to politicians instead of actually doing their job and legislating they're allowed to say well you know the court stopped us and i find that to be very lazy i think we need to just demand more of our legislators and stop with this propositions and especially with a supreme court that can just overturn whatever um i've always hated that idea i vote for a, an elected official i vote for that person to represent me and when they represent me they get overturned by an unelected official on the supreme court using a power that they made up one day over 200 years ago so if thomas is serious yeah man let's do it let's go back over 200 years to the original interpretation that says you can't you have no power to call this fine but do it across the board don't just pick you know abortion because it pisses you off or whatever let's do it for fucking everything let's be serious if we're gonna do it let's get serious about it right thomas like i wish that someone would really challenge him on that and let's be like okay motherfucker you really want this let's go full bore uh but nobody ever does and it kind of pisses me off because i think that's a really good intellectual question that that could be asked i mean thomas is not a stupid man so i would love to hear his answer to that question of okay do you really do you really want to do this do you want to swing for the fences on this one i'm okay with it let's see what we can do um Anyway, uh, but next we're going to listen to, I believe it's Samuel Alito, and the only reason I say that is because I'm not sure if it's Gorsuch or not. Um, the two of them sound very much alike. Uh, I only know a few of the voices <laughs> right now. Uh, but both uh, Alito and Gorsuch basically made the same argument, so you could say this is both of them, but I, I think it's Alito. Uh, we had a case out of South Carolina, I believe, involved a woman who had been convicted of criminal child neglect because she ingested cocaine during pregnancy. Uh, in her case was post-viability, so it doesn't fit in the facts of this case. If she had ingested cocaine pre-viability and had the same negative consequences to her child, do you think the state had an interest in enforcing that law against her? So right here, you, you kind of have this false argument that they both use of the hypothetical and also the, you know, they're, they're playing the whole slippery slope argument, which of course only applies to when it's something they don't like. They never bother applying it to something like the Second Amendment. 
uh, you know, where they, they'll say, oh, you know, where, well, if you, if you, if you allow some people to not have guns, then what's next? We're going to take all your guns. Like they automatically jump to that conclusion. Well, he's basically making the same argument with abortion, which is, you know, well, if a woman can kill her baby, uh, before viability, what's stopping her from afterwards? And why don't we just let everyone kill babies? You know, it, it's kind of that overreaction and that slippery slope argument, which, which isn't true to any degree. It's just something that oppositions, you know, take that stance because they think it sounds good. And it is, it's very salacious. It sells well, you know, you print that on the front newspaper, people are going to freak out. Biden's going to take your guns. I mean, Fox News is a, is a class in this. That's their headline all the time. Biden takes guns away. Biden forces vaccines on elderly. Biden does this. I mean, th they do it all the time and it works very well. And that's why they, they do this. I personally hate the argument uh, for, you know, obvious reasons. Um, but it's, it's very disingenuous and I, I don't care for hypotheticals, especially, I mean, look, man, it's the fucking Supreme Court. There's only nine of you. You guys should be above hypotheticals. You should have actual evidence of what's going on in the outside world to back up your claims. Don't make up bullshit. You're too old, smart, and supposedly experienced for this. I mean, you have an entire staff of clerks who could probably dig up a real-life account of something that happened for you to pull out of your ass at the last moment. But quit with the hypotheticals. It's baby childish bullshit. Uh, I absolutely can't stand it. Um, but next we go on to one of the more disingenuous options, uh, arguments made today, which is from Amy Comey Barrett. So let's listen to that. So petitioner points out that in all 50 states, you can terminate parental rights by relinquishing a child after abortion. And I think the shortest period might've been 48 hours, if I'm remembering the data correctly. So it, it seems to me seen in that light, both Roe and Casey emphasized the burdens of parenting and insofar as you and many of your amici focus on the ways in which the forced parenting, forced motherhood would hinder women's access to the workplace and to equal opportunities. It's also focused on the consequences of parenting and the obligations of motherhood that flow from pregnancy. Why don't the safe haven laws take care of that problem? It seems to me that it focuses the burden much more narrowly. So here you have Amy Comey Barrett basically saying, but what about adoption? Which is negating the entire argument. Uh, it's negating a significant portion of the argument, okay? Any woman who has given birth and any man who has been there for it understand that first off, that nine month period where she's pregnant uh, is difficult and very trying and there are changes. And then afterwards, uh, the woman's body is never the same. And it's not always uh, physical, like you can, you know, it's not visual, sometimes you can't see it. Uh, but, you know, every woman I've ever met who I've talked to about this, um, it's granted, you know, they're, they're people I know, mother, wife, you know, they'll tell you things don't work the same afterwards. My body is not the same as it was before. Uh, this is just, you know, facts of life. Uh, having children changes you. The more children you have, the more it changes you. So to force a woman who doesn't want a pregnancy to go through it, you know, you're forcing that woman to accept all the bodily changes that come with pregnancy and being a mother. But again, uh, then of course, having to turn around and give up that baby. And that is, of course, also emotional trauma that the person did not sign up for. I mean, it's it's very difficult for a woman to carry a baby all the way to term and then say, I'm going to give it up for adoption. Women do that all the time. That's perfectly fine. That's their choice. Point is, they had the choice and they knew that going in. But now you're talking about carrying a baby all the way to term holding that baby in their arms for at least a few hours and then, you know, allowing it to be adopted. And sometimes by complete and total strangers, that is an emotional gut-wrenching feeling that I can only imagine in my mind. There's absolutely no such thing as a woman who has a baby and is just like, peace out, bye, and doesn't care at all about that child ever again and doesn't regret that decision or think about regretting that decision most of the rest of their life. It is something that I think most conservatives 
can't wrap their head around. Like they have this vision in their head of this evil conniving woman who just gets pregnant and has abortions left and right and gives them up for adoption and, and absolutely no emotion is involved in this. And that's got to be from the male perspective because, you know, I just don't get it personally how they could possibly think that. I, I imagine most women understand that, you know, uh, carrying a baby to term and then trying to give it up afterwards is an extremely emotional and difficult time. And I can only believe that conservatives are just completely oblivious to this. They have this this monster in their mind of the liberal woman who doesn't care about her children and just wants to flush them down the toilet. And I'm like, that's just not who we are. They, they don't see other people as human beings. And since they can't wrap their head around how other people think, they just assume everyone thinks like them. So I, I tend to think this is their own, you know, projection of what they think. Uh, and it's, it's really sad, but this whole idea that, you know, a woman would only give a baby up for adoption for her career choices and nothing else. And there's absolutely no emotional trauma that goes through, uh, you know, giving a baby up for adoption. And there's also no physical scarring internally, externally, uh, or, or anything from having it being, you know, forcing a woman to carry a baby to term is just ludicrous and I, I find it especially concerning coming from a woman making this argument because it's like I know that she's adopted like several kids that's that's her deal she's wealthy she can do that she married into some money it's good for her congratulations you probably have never fully you know been a single parent or even you know just you and your husband had to deal with a kid i'll guarantee you this woman had servants her entire life to be making that argument of like oh parenthood's not that hard you know what the hell's the big deal just give it up for adoption somebody else will come in and swoop in and i'm like look not everybody who gets adopted gets the perfect situation with a wealthy family you know some kids don't get adopted and then they're parts of the system and i don't know i just find the entire argument completely disingenuous and and insulting to women in general. I mean, how do you how do you look at a woman and be like, oh, you don't care about your 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 baby. You, you don't care. You just want it dead. It, 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 that's not how human beings think. It's certainly not in mass. You know, I mean, they, they use this thing of like abortion has caused millions of deaths. OK, how many of them do you really think had a psychopath for a mother who was like, fuck, yeah, flush that turd? Not many. There aren't that many psychopaths out there, believe it or not, and certainly not mothers. I'm, I, yeah, I, I don't know. If I was a woman, I would be patently insulted by this idea that, you know, I have no emotions or feelings and can't make this decision for myself. Um, uh, yeah, I know, I know. But then we get into one of the dumbest arguments of the day. Brett Kavanaugh. And, uh, yeah, he... He succeeds. I think the other side would say that the core problem here is that the court uh, has been forced by the position you're taking and by the, the cases to pick sides on uh, the most contentious social debate in American life and to do so in a situation where they say uh, that the Constitution is neutral on the question of abortion, the text and history that the Constitution's neither pro-life nor pro-choice on the question of abortion. Uh, and they would say, therefore, it should be left to the people, to the states, um, or, or to Congress. So Kavanaugh's got this uh, supreme problem here where he's going on, and he's kind of taking the Thomas Ruder saying, well, the Constitution doesn't specifically say it, so why are we bothering with it? But he, he tries to put it in this folksy, you know, both sides kind of thing. And this guy is so such a mini Donald Trump. He so desperately wants to be liked by both sides and he doesn't understand why he's hated so much by the other. Um, and, and you can tell the way he frames his questions and everything else. It's really like, well, you know, uh, the other side would say, would say this. And, and so maybe, maybe they've got something right. And, and, and he, he's not assertive at all in anything that he's saying. He's, you know, and, and, and it's weird if you, if you listen to the whole thing, which is available online, um, it's it's wackadoodle craziness with him because it's like you can almost hear the lawyers that are in favor of the Mississippi law like, dude, don't don't ask that question. It's retarded, you know, um, and yeah, it's it's really bad. 
uh, and and we're going to get into it more because he really steps in it later um, with some other comparisons that he makes. But it's it's just so so you know weak and everything. I'm I'm really pissed off this guy's on the court because he doesn't elevate the argument ever. He always tries to downplay it and dumb it down. And it's like, look, man, that might have played well for the cameras. It doesn't play well for you as a judge. He's the only Supreme Court justice I can say 100% I am smarter than. Like, every other Supreme Court justice, even the ones I disagree with, Gorsuch, Thomas, uh, Roberts, all of them, you know what? Those guys are probably way smarter than me. Like, I can listen to them and be like, oof, yeah, this guy, he knows his shit, and I gotta watch out for him, and, and he's really smart. Like, sometimes you can listen to people and just be like, damn, those people are smart. Kavanaugh has never impressed me. I listened to his entire Senate confirmation uh, while I was at work. I, I, you know, tapped into C-SPAN that day and just listened to it the entire time, and I was just sitting there, like, not impressed. I was like, man, this guy's just not very smart. Uh, you know, and then his emotional outburst just completely sealed it for me. I'm like, okay, this guy's also not politically very bright. Um, you know, Kavanaugh is just a real disappointment from that point of view. I think the, the Senate Republicans really went to bat for the wrong guy. They should have gone to Trump as soon as that, you know, the, the Blasey Ford accusation came out and been like, look, man, nominate somebody else. This guy's just not doing it for us. Uh, he can't, make an argument he doesn't you know make good arguments he's just awful and yeah i really feel like in in his case had i gone to law school and become a judge i could be a better judge than this guy and i hate thinking that when it comes to somebody on the highest court in the land um i don't think i'm alone in that either it's 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 one of those things like every time he opens his mouth you want to you want to like cringe at his question it's like oh god not don't talk anymore man you're making it worse uh but anyway those were the liberal and conservative arguments uh being made at the supreme court uh yesterday for this uh in our last um segment of the day uh is is kind of a little different it's it's more the political side of it because there were a lot of little tiny political uh tricks uh, going on behind the scenes or if you weren't paying attention uh, that I want to get into because I, I mean this is this is the geeky side of it for me so if you want you can just stop it now and be like okay I know what happened at the Supreme Court yesterday but if you want to get into some of the more you know uh, political side of it and and the geeky stuff uh, then uh, you know continue on okay give it another listen thanks Okay, so on to the politics about all this, and this is uh, this is kind of interesting. So, uh, first off, uh, if you get a chance to listen to the entire oral argument, uh, which is, uh, you know, two hours long, so tread carefully, uh, you're going to hear a lot of misogyny. And what I mean by that is that when the men are speaking, nobody interrupts them, but whenever the women are speaking, and this includes the justices, uh, they get interrupted very frequently by the other men. Um, so there was that. And also, uh, the, the right leaning justices tended to try to create these hypotheticals uh, because they want to try to catch the other lawyer into saying something that, you know, would put her case in, in a bad light. And that is just political. They're trying to play gotcha games. Uh, I really hate it. I got two of those. And then there's even one point where she goes and explains all this data that proves her point. And literally the justice says, okay, uh, well, put the data aside for a second. And it's like, no, wait a minute. That, that matters. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, they try to uh, talk about uh, banning religion on a specific date just because a minority of people worship on that particular day uh, doesn't make it right. Uh, you can't just silence a group of people just because it's the, mi the minority um, uh, and not when it comes to individuals. So um, I've got a series of clips that are going to play that and uh and then we'll talk about them real quick and then i got uh i got more on it uh especially regarding kavanaugh and briar have a little well briar has a spat kavanaugh just sits and listens and it's it's glorious but anyway here's a few clips to you know let you know just what the hell was going on but again that's not what this case is about this case is about a ban on abortion the first point i'd like to make is the undue burden test is not at issue in this case that is the test that applies to regulations not prohibitions and the state has conceded that this is a prohibition in fact that's the title of this law is an act to prohibit abortion putting the data um, aside. A state would never say that it could ban religious services on a Wednesday evening, for example, simply because most people could attend religious services on another night of the week. 
so an overlying theme of the entire time was uh, Republican uh, appointed Supreme Court justices uh, posing hypotheticals and making up arguments. And then the defense in this case, uh, the lawyer representing an abortion clinic in Mississippi, um, you know, having to debunk it or say, no, that's not what this is about. And, you know, the state has even said this is what it is about. And again, these questions are posed in such a way that they're just trying to catch her in a gotcha. So that way, you know, it plays well for the media. And, you know, that that's a, that's a particular problem here because uh, the Missouri, Mississippi Attorney General knows exactly what he is doing. Uh, sure, you're, sure uh, Justice Breyer, I, I would say a couple things. So not many people talk about it, but it was one thing I noticed very quickly is that the Mississippi Attorney General uh, never refers to the conservative justices as your honor or excuse me, uh, by their name and title. He always refers to them as your honor, your honor, your honor, with the exception of uh, Chief Justice Roberts. And the reason for that is politically, Chief Justice Roberts is considered a traitor. Uh, the right hates him because he was the swing vote on uh, Obamacare uh, several times, actually. the two I, I believe the, the two times it's come up, he's been the, the, the fifth vote that uh, kept Obamacare on the works. And a lot of people consider him a traitor. Uh, to the cause and say he's not a true conservative, uh, which is why they always made the Supreme Court a big deal. Uh, Roberts, at his core, believes in incrementalism and uh, pragmatism, and he very much wants his court, because again, this is his court, uh, to remain credibility. And unfortunately, because he's got these new wackadoos from Trump, uh, he is no longer in control. Uh, so whenever the Mississippi Attorney General is addressing either Roberts or any of the liberals, it's Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, Justice Breyer, uh, Justice, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, he never refers to them just as your honor. And you would kind of wonder, hmm, I wonder why that is. Why does he do that? And even in this clip here, you could tell he corrects himself because there was nothing wrong with referring to Justice Breyer as your honor. That's totally appropriate in that case. He could have just said your honor, but he started to say your honor and then corrected himself to Justice Breyer. The reason he does that is because he is an elected official. He's the Mississippi Attorney General. He is a politician and he is hoping that when he says their name, it makes a clip. It makes a soundbite that can then be sold on Fox News and other like-minded stations to do this. And there was there was a lot of this, especially from the conservative side, to you know try to create sound bites and give Fox News something to do. It's like they they knew we need the media to have this because it'll make great political ads in the future. And I guarantee you. The Mississippi Attorney General is sitting there hoping that every time he says, you know, Justice Breyer, he's then going to unleash some kind of soundbite that can be turned into a campaign ad for him. See, see how I took it to those liberals and that that traitor Chief Justice Roberts. See, you know, it's it's that kind of thing that they want. They want that. And that's really all this is about is optics and, you know, what it sounds like in a campaign ad and what it means to you to get uh, to raise money to fundraise off of it. So he wants wanted to make it very clear on who he was attacking or arguing against when he was arguing against the other side, whereas with the other side, he always referred to them strictly as your honor. He never refers to Barrett, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Alito, or Thomas by name, ever, in the entire thing. They're all your honor, your honor, your honor, your honor, and that is so he can then mask his intention. So if he does slip up, it's no biggie. He could say, oh, well, I wasn't, I don't recall who I was talking to there. There's no evidence of uh, which justice I was talking to. And only the people like myself, who's going to go back and delve into the two hour video are going to say, oh no, asshole, you were talking to, uh, you were talking to Thomas right there. Uh, but you know, that that's something political that he did. It's a game that he was playing. And it's also a game all the conservative justices were playing by playing to the extremes, playing to the hypotheticals. They weren't making any legit cases or arguments at any point in time. The only conservative who calls himself a conservative, and again, I, I use that term loosely, it's not what they use it as. Conservative is just another word for Trumpian these days. Um, but the only person who was making a conservative case on all of this were actually the liberals and uh, Justice Roberts. Because they were arguing to maintain the status quo or, as Roberts kind of alludes to during this, he would he would be okay with not overruling Roe and Casey, but changing the viability standard to a 15-week limit. So basically saying the Mississippi law can stand and we'll just make 15 weeks the new, the new limit. Like that's as low as you can go. 
Um, now, of course, the liberals are pointing at, well, if you do that and you say that that's pre, you know, that is pre-viability. If you try to have a baby at 15 weeks, it's not going to live at all. Uh, there, there, there just aren't any successful cases of that happening. And if they are, they're very few and far in between and luck plays a lot in it. Uh, but to, to suggest, you know, 15 weeks, well, that's before viability. You could see how that could create an opening for future arguments in the court to say, well, you guys have already reduced it from 24 to 15. So why not just knock it back to six? Why not just take it back to two, you know, and, and obviously anybody who's, you know, been present for a pregnancy or had a pregnancy could tell you six weeks is not i mean i mean you if you know you're pregnant in six weeks that's a godsend to actually realize you're pregnant and then even make a decision as to what you're doing like again the the whole mindset of this is they assume that women as soon upon immediate hearing that they are pregnant are going to want an abortion and that's just not true they find out they're pregnant and you know i'm a human being i could put myself in that shoes briefly and momentarily and say you know maybe they're in denial because of course you know the, the stick from the store even says not accurate please get a doctor's test so you get that you schedule an appointment and again this is all taking time have you tried to schedule an appointment to go to the doctor these days I mean, if you try to schedule one, I mean, sure, there are walk-in clinics, but even then, testing takes time. This all takes time. You have a busy life. You go to work. You have other kids to take care of, perhaps. You know, you just don't have time to drop everything and get it all done all at once. And that, that is the argument, of course, that the defense makes in this case, you know, undue burden. By closing the gap, by making the time frame shorter, you're putting an undue burden on the woman to even make the decision, let alone go through with it. Um... So the only conservative decisions were the liberals calling for, hey, this has been precedent for 50 fucking years. Maybe we should leave it alone. And Justice Roberts was saying, well, OK, if we are going to do something, then we should only peel back a few layers of the onion, kind of. Which, again, is at least a legit conservative option. The liberal blow it all up option is exactly what all six or excuse me, all five of the other justices are proposing, which is just abandon the entire thing. Um, so it's it's completely on its head. The the slow methodical approach is actually what the liberals are proposing, quote unquote, air quotes here, liberals, and the conservatives are the one proposing to blow it all up and change everything. Again, there's 50 years of precedent on this. Rulings have come down for over 50 years, reestablishing over and over again for the Supreme Court to overrule it again with absolutely nothing new other than who's sitting on the bench is not a precedent anybody wants in a democracy it's it's a horrible horrible thing uh to do uh but anyway i got some uh two two long clips i want to play for you just because they're hilarious uh this first one here is going to be kavanaugh making a hell of a distinction where he compares abortion rights to gun rights to separate but equal to a whole slew of other things, Miranda rights even, and, um, you know, makes this uh, basic case that, well, you know, uh, separate but equal was the law of the land for a long time, and we overruled that. We went against precedent that, so why not go ahead and make precedent, uh, you know, go against precedent here, you know? So he's basically doing that, again, equating separate but equal to abortion is just what the hell are you doing but then the beautiful thing is justice Breyer has to come in and go against it and uh if you listen to the whole thing you can tell he's he's definitely pissed off about this whole thing and kind of goes on a mini teacher rant like did you even do your fucking homework man before you came in here and it's 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 completely a smackdown and i i'm totally here for it again kavanaugh is just comes off completely weak and and not very bright at all the most consequential cases in this court's history there's a string of them where the cases overruled precedent brown v board uh, outlawed separate but equal uh, Baker versus Carr, which set the stage for one person, one vote. West Coast Hotel, which recognized the state's authority to regulate business. Miranda versus Arizona, which required police to give warnings when the right to about the right to remain silent and to have an attorney present to suspects in criminal custody. Lawrence v. Texas, which said that the state may not prohibit same-sex conduct. Map versus Ohio 
which held that the exclusionary rule applies to state criminal prosecutions to exclude evidence obtained in violation of the Fourth Amendment. Gideon versus Rain Wainwright, which guaranteed the right to counsel in criminal cases. Obergefell, which recognized a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. That is, is a good point, and this may be my fault. I'm talking about pages 854 to 863 in the Casey case, and I've already used up too much time. I can't read those pages out loud, but they do not include the list that Justice Kavanaugh had. They do include two. One is Brown, and the second one uh, is uh, West Coast Hotel versus Parish. And you could add the gay rights cases as a third, which would fit the criteria. But there are complex criteria that she's talking about that link to the position in the rule of law of this court. So all I would say is you have to read them before beginning to say whether they are overruling or not overruling in the sense meant there, calling for special concern. Now, uh, they say in those, uh, maybe I'd mentioned too, wait a minute, of course Plessy was wrong when decided, but just a minute. Also remember Plessy said that separate but equal was a badge of inferiority. Uh, no, they said it isn't. Well, all you have to do is open your eyes and look at the South, my friend, and you will see whether it was or it wasn't in 1954. And they made a similar point. They said, are you going to sit here in the middle of the Depression and tell me that, that uh, Lochner, with its uh, other cases, and pure, just about pure, uh, uh, laissez-faire, that we can run the country that way? I mention that because I want people to read those 15 pages with care. <laughs> and that's why I said that. If you had anything to add to my plea to read it, please do. So I love the entire thing about this. And the first thing is Kavanaugh, again, it's, it's like he's got so many problems. Uh, so he, I think he knows that everybody thinks he's stupid. So he just goes ahead and lists off all these random facts and bullshit. Like, look how many cases I can recite. And he just lists them all off. Like, look how smart I am. And it's like Breyer comes in and is like, knowledge of cases doesn't mean shit if you can't apply them right. And also, did you even read this fucking thing? Like, I just talked about it like an hour ago about how you should all have read this fucking thing. And it's part of it. And it, and it is true. Like, if you're doing an abortion case, you would think that basic homework is, hey, okay, I'm ruling on abortion today. I should probably read the decisions and the arguments made regarding uh, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey so that I can understand what the pros, cons, and everything about that was. And, and then I would have a greater knowledge to be able to sit in this courtroom, accept what the people are telling me, and then make a decision based on that. Like, it's, 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 it is basic, you would think, for your average high schooler. Um, but he just comes off as completely pathetic and weak for doing this, and Breyer takes him completely to task. And again, I'll, I'll note, you know, Kavanaugh doesn't speak again for the rest of this. Like, I played you basically his only two hits. Um, he doesn't talk again, and, um, you know, that's for reason. Every time he speaks, he steps in it and just proves to everybody how completely ill-equipped he is to be on the court. Um I really hope, uh, I was hoping that with Biden, uh, he would at least instruct the FBI or, or mention to the FBI, or maybe the FBI would take it upon themselves to, you know, reevaluate the security clearance on Kavanaugh because he did come in under a lot of auspices. And I'm not even worried about the sexual allegations, although those were credible. The thing I'm most concerned about that the FBI never bothered to look into is at one point he was $600,000 in debt and it just disappeared overnight. And no one has any reason how that happened. You know, his wife doesn't make that much. And at the time, he was only making, I think, $150,000 a year. Uh, so it's like, dude, how did you come up with over half a million dollars instantly to get rid of this debt? Where did it go? You know, and I, I think that's a legit question, especially with that much money and the fact that you're putting so much power into his hands. Um, I was really surprised and disappointed that the Democrats didn't, you know, go that route during the whole interrogation. Like, maybe just one of them. I understand the whole you know, uh, Blasey Ford allegation. And I get that, but at least you know, there are several Democrats on the panel. One of them could have been like, Hey, could you explain where the hell this money came from? Please. Could you explain it to us all that you're, you know, can you, can you prove to us that it was totally legit and you're not beholden to somebody? Um, 
so there, there was a lot of political theater in this, especially from the conservative side, again, trying to play gotcha games, trying to catch the other side into doing something. So, and again, the, the reason isn't because of the decision. The conservatives on this court knew what they were going to do before it even started. This was all for the Fox News crowd. This was for the conservative circuit. This is so they can get invited to places like CPAC or vacation spots or wherever to do their thing because that's totally legal for the Supreme Court to do. Um, and and they do it all the time. Thomas is probably the worst example of this because his wife uh, accepts gifts from everybody on the right all the time. But since she's not the justice, it's totally okay uh, whether he benefits from it or not. It's kind of a bullshit thing. There's a lot of politics played on this. Um, you know, their decision's not going to include anything on this at all. Yeah, Roe v. Wade is screwed. I'm sorry. I just don't see how it survives after this. Um, your best case argument is that Roberts is able to convince the other five justices that completely overturning Roe v. Wade is not the best course of action. And honestly, I'd have to agree with him. Uh, assuming that I was a diehard Republican individual and I want to see future Republican presidents and future Republican politicians elected, the last thing I would do right now is overturn Roe v. Wade. I know that is counterintuitive, uh, but it is true that if you overturn Roe v. Wade, and this decision will probably come down next June, which is right before the midterms. If the Supreme Court comes out five to four or six three and overturns, just flat out overturns Roe v. Wade and says, let the states decide, the Democrats are probably like that's the only thing that could flip this for the Democrats and in going into the 2022 midterms is that. And you are effectively killing any chance that the Republicans would have of stealing the election because the plan is that. The plan is get Trump on the ticket again. It doesn't matter if you win close or lose close, just claim victory. And because the Republicans will control the House and Senate, unlike last time, uh, they'll be able to just cheat and put them in. I mean, they've already told us what they're going to do. They haven't shown us any evidence that they're not going to do that. Um, so really, if you're, your only hope right now, if you are in favor of abortion, uh, rights is that justice can temper it and just say, okay, we'll let the Mississippi law stand and we'll leave everything pre-15 weeks coming down the pipe because you know it's going to. Uh, the second they go ahead and remove the viability standard of 24 weeks, the floodgates are going to open. All the Republican states are going to immediately pass legislation if they haven't already uh, to challenge it. And it's going to end up at the Supreme Court again, and Roberts is going to try really, really hard to do it, but he's not going to be able to hold on forever, especially if, hypothetically, you know, Trump and the Republicans take over in 22 and 24. Uh, then you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm sorry, you know, Breyer's probably toast. And that would make it 7-2 in favor of conservative justices. And at that point, you might as well just say, well, this is the country we live in. There's no changing it um, at all uh, for the foreseeable future. I will die in a conservative state, period. Um, it's, it's a little depressing and everything, and your, your best hope is in the hands of a conservative. Yay. <laughs> anyway, that's today's show. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Again, I do apologize. I had my kids. Uh, I got up late and didn't start recording before they woke up. So, um, and this show, of course, also ran long. I, I had a lot of work to do on it. I wanted to be able to get it out today. So I recorded through their antics uh, rather than wait for them to leave. So apologies if that was uh, annoying or, or bugging you at all. Um, other than that, have a good day. I hope to have another show out tomorrow. Uh, won't be as, uh, long or complex as this. I don't think, uh, the sky may fall. Who knows? But in the meantime, you guys have a great day and we will see you again tomorrow.